This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for June 8th, 2018. In this week's episode, Apple presented the newest features in its upcoming operating system updates at the recent Worldwide Developers Conference keynote. We'll talk about what there is to look forward to, including new security and privacy enhancements. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software, exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. Josh, did you watch the keynote at Apple's WWDC on Monday? I certainly did. You watched it live so you could react in real time? Yeah, I didn't do so much uh, social media reaction in real time, but I definitely watched it. It was pretty much what most people expected. We had mostly a software announcement with what's coming up in the next operating systems that uh, Apple's going to be putting out in the fall. But yeah, a lot of really interesting stuff. Yeah, not much hardware, only two hardware items. Do you remember what they were? Actually, one wasn't announced in the keynote, but was released on Monday. Well, I remember that they mentioned something about a watch band or something like that. Right. The Pride watch band. That was the one they announced. And there was another one they released on Monday. They replaced a 29-watt charger with a new 30-watt charger. Ooh. <laughs> so there's an extra watt for those who, who need it. One thing they didn't come out with yet is that Qi charging pad where you can put your iPhone on it and it charges. I think it's been more than a year since they announced it. Or was it last September. This is just totally missing in action. Yeah, which is probably okay. I mean, Apple does sell third-party ones, of course, that you can use to charge your, your iPhone 10. You know, I imagine we'll still see that this year. There were a couple of little hints. They certainly didn't say anything about it, but I would not be surprised if we had an iPad that was more similar in many ways to the iPhone 10, you know, with a notch and with, you know, probably wireless charging and those kind of things. And Face ID. One of what Apple thinks is the big new features in iOS 12 is these Memojis, which are animojis that look like you, or you can design them to look like you. Of course, you can design them to look like someone else. And this is something that requires the camera that's used in the iPhone 10 to scan your face because of the 3D information, the, the ability to move your lips. You can't do this with the normal FaceTime camera that's in, a, it's in an iPhone or iPad. So I can understand they want to extend it to the iPad, and that requires the Face ID camera. I thought so, too. I thought it's, it's using the new functionality that Face ID uses to, when it's doing the Animoji. Um, I've got a coworker who has an iPhone 10, and of course, you know, he already installed iOS 12 beta, and so he's checking it out. And, and so I tried out the Memoji thing, and he showed me that if you cover up the sensors that, you know, put those little, you know, invisible dots all over your face, like Apple showed off last year, if you cover up that sensor, the iPhone 10 can still detect your facial movements. So it's actually just using the camera and it's it turns out it's really something that Apple is locking down to that device, maybe because they want you to buy the iPhone 10. Okay, hold on. Did you cover up the sensor when you created the Memoji or only afterward? No, he he was demonstrating, okay, look, it's you know, it's detecting my face, it's moving around like my 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 head, and then he like covered up that part of the sensor. So the only so the only thing in the notch that was visible was just the camera. And it was still able to detect all of his facial movements and everything. Yeah, but it already has the face information from the, the face ID camera stored in the device. 
My guess is that it only needs it to create the initial model for the Animoji or the Memoji, and then afterwards doesn't need it. Mm, maybe. This is total speculation, but the Face ID probably uses a lot more CPU than the camera itself. I, I think the Face ID camera probably uses a lot of processing power to create a, a spatial model of your face. But once that is initially done, it doesn't need to do that. And it's probably more economical in terms of processor power and battery life to just use the regular camera because it knows where your nose, your lips, and your eyes are. Those are the key markers. And as you move, it can apply that to the model it's already created. The, the way to test that would be to cover up the Face ID camera and turn on Face ID. You'll find that it won't work, which doesn't necessarily prove my point. But But I think... The thing is that they're using Face ID to create a model with however many hundreds of points that they talk about, which are spatial points. You know, it's not just a 2D representation. But after that, they don't need it anymore. Anyway, I think you've made a Memoji, and maybe we can put a screenshot of it in the show notes for people to see. Sure, why not? I think it looks a lot like you. <laughs> I think the hair is a little bit too light, but otherwise, I think it's a pretty good resemblance. <laughs> There's a lot more interesting stuff in iOS 12, what do you think of augmented reality? Ah, uh, yeah, it's it's something that I think developers like, which is which makes sense that it's something that they would show off at a developers conference. And you know what? There was a kind of a little bit of a maybe almost a jab at developers. I, I I don't know if they really intended it that way, but with the tape measure equivalent measure is what they call this app, and that was kind of cool. But it's it's almost like Apple was saying, come on, really? Nobody thought to, to do this with AR in the whole past year? You know, we've, we've had the technology available to you guys, but fine, we'll throw in our own AR application with, with the new iOS, just so people will start using AR more and be more aware of it being there on their phone. What's interesting is that since September, when iOS 11 came out, I really haven't heard much about AR at all. As you say, it's popular with developers because it's an interesting toy, but it's not something that has trickled down to, to the sort of mainstream. I don't hear anyone I know talk about it. I don't see articles about AR apps. I, I once downloaded the IKEA app to try and see how a nice big sofa would look in my home office, and it really didn't work very well. It wasn't very efficient, and, and I just ended up deleting it. I, I think there's some interesting possibilities for augmented reality, but we're we're... We are before the beginning. We, hmm. We've got years to go before this turns into something useful. Yeah, and Apple had a great demo. They brought some people from Lego up on stage to show off, you know, here's how you can have AR work with some physical objects that you have on a table. Here's a Lego set, and here's all the cool things that you can do to interact with it. But the biggest problem, I think, that with AR right now is that you get that gorilla arm thing. It's just like, you know, the, the complaint that people have about Minority Report, you can never really have your arms extended out in front of you for an extended period of time and just move things around because your arms are going to get tired. Yeah. Imagine holding an iPad out in front of you while yep. you're playing. I don't think the very many kids are going to be able to play for very long, you know, if they're having to hold their parents' heavy iPad out in front of them. So you mentioned about a colleague that installed the beta on his iPhone. Am I correct in assuming that you've installed the iOS 12 beta on your iPhone? <laughs> I mean, we always recommend to people don't ever install beta operating systems on a production device. I mean, the device you depend on or that you use for your work. Maybe I misheard you. <laughs> 
Maybe I misheard you when we were discussing this before the show. Okay, okay. Well, so I have my personal phone, which I'm not going to touch. My day job, though, I have I have a, an iPhone 6S that I use. And so I, I did put it on there. Okay, okay. I'll just repeat the standard recommendation. Don't put a beta operating system on a production device. You may regret it. Yeah. You never know what's going to go wrong. Very true. Quickly, let's just talk about a few of the other features that I think are pretty interesting. I like the way that notifications can come into stacks instead of a big line that you have to scroll down on the phone. You know, sometimes you get someone who adds you to a group message and you never asked to be in it and you get <laughs> 1,100 notifications. And if you have to scroll through all of them to find the other important notifications, it's a hassle. So this is really a practical idea. Yeah. Now, to be fair, Kirk, in that situation, you could leave the conversation, although the disadvantage of that is then it tells everybody. And so you look like a big jerk. So, <laughs> well, but you might not notice. You might be you might be in the movies and you've put your phone into airplane mode, and then when you come uh, back, all of a sudden you get this this machine gun notification <laughs> thing that just flashes on your screen. I've had this happen. Yeah, they've improved search for photos, which is kind of interesting. The Photos app, both on iOS and on the Mac, it can do some searching already by default. And there's an interesting way to find out about this. Go into the search field and just type the letter A and wait, and you'll see a bunch of categories that it can search for. Unfortunately, I was testing this the other day and I put in the letter B and I saw a bunny rabbit, which meant that I had a photo of a bunny rabbit in my photos library. It's actually a photo of my cat with one of those collars after he had some surgery and, you know, that they put that plastic collar so they can't lick themselves and bite themselves. So the search results aren't always great, but Apple says that this is improved. There's this whole shortcut thing where you'll be able to create it's kind of like Apple scripts or automator workflows where you'll be able to create tasks with multiple steps. Like when I do this, do that, that, that. So maybe when I wake up and touch my phone in the morning, turn on the light, start the coffee machine, raise the temperature on the thermostat, things like that. Right. Yeah, that was kind of interesting. And and that's so certainly something that's more... Uh something that developers I think are going to geek out about. But if if the average user discovers that and can put that to use, I think that can really help a lot of people with their, their daily workflows. A lot, of, lot less manual things that you have to do. With all of these automation features, as you say, it's about discoverability. They're not that easy to use. I like Automator. I use it for a number of things, but the average user just doesn't know how to do it. Another thing that I thought was kind of interesting was they modified enhanced do not disturb mode. So before it was just a simple, you know, you tap do not disturb and now it's on until you turn it off. Now you can hold on that and you get some more options. So now you can say only do not disturb for an hour because, you know, you know, you're going to be in it unavailable for that amount of time. If you've got something on your calendar, though, you can say until the end of this event, which is pretty useful. I think if you're in a meeting and you've got that on your calendar, you just tap that option. And now it knows the exact length of time that it should be quiet. And then you don't forget to turn it off. And that's when you get the 1100 messages notifications, but all in one stack instead of in a big line. Right. Let's take a quick look at macOS Mojave. After the break, we're going to come back and talk about security and privacy, both in iOS 12 and, and Mojave. The big marquee feature in Mojave is the dark mode. And I don't know about you, but I really don't like dark mode. stuff. You know, what? Here, here was what I thought. And I was really surprised because all these developers are going, yeah, dark mode. And I'm just kind of like, you guys, we've already pretty much had that. It was labeled an accessibility feature. But with both iOS 11 and macOS High Sierra, if you have the screen inversion 
feature turned on, it now has smart recognition of photos. So, and that was like the one thing that was holding that back from being essentially a dark mode feature. Now, I, I know that Apple's done more than that. They've made it more consumer friendly now, but I kind of just feel like, okay, well, that's cool. I, I was kind of already doing that, but okay. Well, dark mode is interesting if you're working with graphics. If you use Apple's Photos apps, when you go to edit a photo, it goes into dark mode because that's what you want to do when you're working with graphics. You don't want something bright. You want a, a, a sedate background. It's not fully black. It's like a dark gray. The idea of using the entire operating system like that is problematic because you don't read as well white text on black. And it's particularly difficult if you have an astigmatism and 50% of people have astigmatisms. So I, I think developers like it because... They like to be different. They also like to use seven-point fonts when they're writing code. And they're also up in the middle of the night, usually coding, and you don't right. want this, you know, big bright screen facing you all the time. Right. But, you know, to, to be fair, Apple does say, if you look at their Mojave preview site, it says, choose what works best for you, the familiar appearance or the new dark mode. So they know that this is not for everybody. I don't think it costs them a lot to make the dark mode, but they knew that it would be popular among a subset of users. Yeah. So together with the dark mode, they're creating a, well, for now, there's one desktop picture that is dynamic, that it changes its coloring depending on the time of day. And this is the default Mojave desktop. That's a gimmick. It's a nice gimmick, but it's a gimmick, right? It's not going to change the way people use a computer. It's eye candy. Pretty cool eye candy, actually. I, I really like this. I think it looks like what they did is they kind of took a time lapse of, of the day, you know, and then um, they're, they're using this to uh, give some images to fade to as the time progresses during the day. But it, it looks pretty cool to me. Well, what they did is, is, first of all, this isn't a photo. It's a 3D render. Ah, They wouldn't get photos to look as clear as it, as, as it does. And the dynamic desktop file contains 16 HEIC files. HEIC is the format that's used in modern video compression and that's used by default for photos on the iPhone. And what it does is it just dissolves from one to the other over time. I know a developer who's been analyzing this and figured it out. And it's very possible that third parties will be able to create apps to make this sort of thing. But of course, when you look at the photo on Apple's website, it's not just the darkness and the light, it's the shadows that are changing the angles and everything. So you'd have to do a lot of work to get the 16 photos to make it look as neat as it is. Back to the desktop. Now, you're the guy with all the stuff on the desktop, the millions of files, and I'm the guy who never uses it. So you're going to like this new feature that automatically groups the files on your desktop in stacks. And this can be by type, by date, by name. Uh, there are a number of categories. What do you think? Yeah, it's cool. And, and I don't have nearly as much on my desktop now that I'm using that screenshot feature that we talked about. So I, I've got my screenshots going to another folder, but the, occasionally I'll still put something on the desktop. And I think that can be useful to uh, have it automatically group or stack those things together. If you wanted to keep your screenshots on the desktop, now you can just have them all sucked into one, essentially like one icon, one spot on your desktop, rather than having it fill your whole desktop. And in the finder, there is gallery view, which is an extension of and a replacement for cover flow view. What I never liked about Coverflow View is the way things change size as they come across. Now, I haven't seen, I've only seen stills of Gallery View, and I'm not sure how it's going to work, but it looks quite nice the way that instead of having a list of files in the bottom section, you have the small icons, there's some metadata at the right, there are some quick action buttons, and I think this is going to be a useful tool. 
Yeah, I do like the metadata and, you know, you more than I, but we're both kind of geeks about photography and, and we want to know what the dimensions are of the image. And before you had to get info on it, now you got that right in the Finder interface, which is pretty cool. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to talk more specifically about all the new security and privacy features in Apple's new operating system. School's out and your kids will have more time than ever to spend on their favorite activities. And if those activities mean spending more unsupervised time online, you might want to consider using controls to manage your kids' computer access. And of course, Intego has you covered. You may be familiar with some of the basic parental controls offered by Apple, but Intego takes your control of security much further than that. At the Intego.com website, we've got side-by-side -side comparisons of Apple's built-in security and the advanced features of Intego Content Barrier. Content Barrier is a suite of software that gives you more complete parental controls for peace of mind. And now, through the end of June, you can purchase Content Barrier Secure X9 at 40% off. It's a great way to start protecting yourself and your children from harmful online content. And guarding your children's online activities is crucial when you can't always be there to protect them. With Content Barrier Secure X9, you will be. Save 40% on Intego Content Barrier Secure X9 now through the end of June and have a real safe summer. So, Josh, you took a deep dive into iOS 12 security for an article on the Intego Mac security blog. There will be a link in the show notes. Tell me what you found out. Well, you know what? I think most people are probably going to think this is not a big deal. But being the security geek that I am, one of the main things that stood out to me from the whole entire two and a half hour keynote was that iOS 12 is going to support the same devices. I was like, oh, cool. That's awesome. I know why Apple really did this, and they really alluded to this in the keynote. Apple said, the reason we're doing this is because we want all existing iOS 11 devices to run faster. And, you know, reading between the lines, what they're really talking about is the whole artificial slowdown of your device and how they kind of got caught with not really clearly explaining that to users. So I get that that's really the real reason why iOS 12 is going to support all the same devices. This is really cool, though, from a security and privacy standpoint, because what this means is that all the devices that currently support it, all the way back to some devices released in 2013. The iPhone 5S. iPhone 5S and the original iPad Air. Those devices are still going to get operating system updates for a whole extra year beyond what people probably figured that they would. So this is great because a lot of people still have an iPhone 5S and don't you know, want to spend the money to get the latest iPhone or they just don't know better. They don't know that they won't get security updates anymore once a new operating system comes out that they can't upgrade to. And so I think this is a really, really cool thing for security and privacy because now a whole you know, additional years worth of people are going to get all of the latest security improvements. Yeah, uh, I think that's huge. It means people will be able to have devices that run a bit longer. If you had one of these older devices where Apple replaced the battery, now you know you're still going to be able to update it to the next operating system rather than be stuck on the last one because your device is going to last a bit longer since it's got a new battery in it. By the way, and we've talked about how I've had to replace batteries in my iPhones. I had to do a second 
battery replacement on my personal iPhone recently. Really? After 18 months, the battery started to swell again, lift up the screen. So they had to replace my iPhone 6 with another another iPhone 6. It happened again to the same phone. With the first replacement, did they replace the battery or just give you a different phone? No, they replaced the whole phone. Yeah, it's cheaper for them to do that. And so now this has happened to me twice now. Yeah. So yes, there are a lot of people, myself included, my personal phone is just an iPhone 6. And it is potentially affected by the um, the system-wide slowdown if my battery starts to get low enough quality. I'm very curious to see how well iOS 12 works on it. I'm not adventurous enough to put this on my personal phone, <laughs> but but once the once it comes out of beta, I will definitely be installing iOS 12 on my iPhone 6 to see whether the speed increase is worth keeping that device for another year. So what about this new password manager API in iOS 12? What's this about? Oh yeah, yeah, th- this is kind of cool, I think. So there's there's already some of this functionality in iOS 11, but it's a little bit more hidden. And specifically there I'm talking about, now you can ask Siri about your passwords, which is really, really weird to me because the exact quote from Apple is, if you ever need to access your passwords, just ask Siri. (laughs) Which kind of made me raise an eyebrow and go, oh, really? Like, Siri's not going to blab my password out loud, is it? That's strange, yeah. But I I think probably what they mean is that it's going to take you to your passwords list, which right now is just kind of buried somewhere in settings. You can get to this in iOS 11 by going to settings, accounts and passwords, app and website passwords, and then iCloud. So you have to tap a whole bunch of times to get to these. I didn't even know they were there until I went to, you know, to look this up. So it turns out you actually do have your iCloud keychain accessible. You can see what your passwords are if you go through that that all those steps. Now you'll be able to ask Siri to, you know, show you your password and it'll pro- presumably it'll jump right there, which is cool. They've done some other things too. They've made it easier, you know, everyone gets all these text messages. If you've ever set up two-step authentication, you know that you get a text message with a limited time code and then you have to either watch as the notification comes in at the top and quickly type it into your app or (laughs) or Or memorize it or switch to messages and copy it or write it down exactly and it's a total pain to do that now what happens is that those one-time passcodes will automatically appear as autofill suggestions which is really cool now you don't have to go through the extra step or you know be on the super alert and watching the top of your screen so you don't miss that notification come in now you can just tap an autofill i hope they do this on the mac as well because it's more often that i need to log in to something with a two-factor authentication on the mac i'm thinking paypal amazon and other websites where i do this And okay, I've got messages in the same window, but I still have to kind of squint because the notification that comes up is a little bit small. And then again, you remember it and it's just, if they can save some time with that, it would be really useful. Do you get your SMSs on your desktop? I do. Yeah. I have have text message forwarding from my iPhone to my desktop. Ah, Some people don't do that. And then they have to get the code on their iOS device. Now, we can already copy and paste things that go from one to the other. It would be really interesting if that were to happen for two-factor codes as well. I guess Apple could just parse any six-digit code and assume that that's something you might want to copy. There's one other interesting feature that doesn't concern either of us yet because we don't have an iPhone X or iPhone X, but you'll be able to register two faces 
for face ID in the future. So the common idea is that is is two spouses or partners or or whatever, because there's always the case where some people may want to, to share their phone for for certain things. This, of course, is a minor security risk, but I think allowing two makes a lot of sense. Oh, yeah. That was my main criticism or complaint about Face ID was that with Touch ID, I can have, you know, if I want my wife to be able to unlock my phone, I can enroll her thumb, you know, or finger or whatever prints on my device because they give you up to five. And so I can have three of mine and two of hers or whatever. You can't, you couldn't do that with Face ID. So I'm really glad that they've have added that capability. Well, let's move over to macOS Mojave, but let's talk about something that is being rolled out for both iOS and macOS. And Apple made a big deal about these new Safari privacy anti-tracking features that they are implementing. Yeah, and a subtle or maybe not so subtle jab at Facebook and and Google, who are, of course, competitors in certain ways to Apple. They talked about how you've got all of these widgets embedded in your pages to be able to like content or, you know, or to discuss things. And Apple says that these things are tracking you. Well, they are. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're if you're logged into Facebook in another browser window or if you've just never hit log out, even if you don't have it open in another window, you're still logged into Facebook, which is why those like buttons continue to work if you like something on another page. And Apple says, well, you know what? Everyone's tracking you. So you might want to consider not allowing that. And we're going to give you some flexibility in Safari to be able to say no to this third-party tracking. Yeah, that's great. Because Apple is is clearly throwing down the gauntlet to companies, particularly like Facebook, saying okay, you want all this data, we're not going to give it to you anymore. And and Tim Cook even said something to the effect that privacy is a fundamental human right. Yeah, exactly. And and I like that concept. I mean, of course, as a security geek, whatever, you know, I like the concept, but I think the average person would too. I like the idea that if I, if I don't want to be tracked, if I don't want targeted ads knowing everything about me, I should have the right to be able to turn that off. And so Apple, I think, has done a pretty good job of... Um, trying to find a way to do this with Safari. Now, in practice, I'm going to have to see how well this works because what concerns me is that, I mean, frankly, the entire internet now, all the web, is full of third-party things embedded in every page. So I don't know how this is not going to get really annoying when every time you visit a site, it's going to say, and they you know, they give an example screenshot. They say, allow jlsanews.com to use cookies and website data while browsing inspirationarchives.com and it says this will allow jlsanews.com to track your activity and you hit either don't allow or allow. Is it really going to do this for every single embedded content in every single page with only two those two buttons? I can't just say never allow? That that seems like you're going to get a lot of pop-ups now. Yeah, it, it's a tough choice and I'm already seeing it. I use an app called Flipboard on my iPhone to read news. It's a sort of a news aggregator and what it does is it presents an article with a photo and, and a headline and some text, and then you tap on it and it goes to that article. Sometimes the article is formatted to be displayed within Flipboard, and sometimes Flipboard serves as a sort of web browser to display it. And every time I go to an article on a website, it's asking me for cookie permission, GDPR cookie permission, every single time. And I guess it doesn't retain the same kind of cookie and user session information 
to know that I've already approved for a certain site. And I'm seeing this over and over, and it really is quite annoying. You were really psyched earlier about the fact that iOS 12 goes back to all the devices that could run iOS 11, but it's not quite the same for Mojave, is it? No, unfortunately. And, and you know, to be honest, this is not a big surprise because Apple did recently add a whole bunch of Macs introduced in 2009 through 2011 to their so-called vintage and obsolete products page. <laughs> so I kind of knew this was coming. But yeah, it's a little disappointing because, you know, I happen to have a 2011 iMac that is not going to be able to run Mojave now. So I, I knew it was due for an upgrade anyway, but now I'm, I'm kind of forced to because I I don't want to be stuck with, oh, I don't want to be stuck with High Sierra. Okay, you're worried about the security stuff, yeah. Exactly. I, I have a 2011 Mac Mini that I use as a server, and it is obsolete. This was, I remember this was announced a few months ago. I'm not too worried because I don't do much with it. It's really just a file server and my media library with Plex is there. So even if someone got into it, they wouldn't really be able to get too far into my data. I'm not signed into iCloud or anything. So I'm not too worried about it. But remember, we're talking about Macs back to 2009 to 2011, the iPhone 5S we said earlier is 2013. That's still five years back, and I think that's pretty good. Now, you expect a, a desktop computer or a laptop to last longer than a mobile device just because of the amount of usage. So you, you're getting a couple years more, but you know, it, they can't last forever. Yeah. And, and to be fair, Apple's giving you six years to be able to run Mojave. You can run it on a six-year-old Mac, anything that was released in 2012 originally. So that's not too bad. And then if you do have something that's a little bit older than that 2009 to 2011 range, you can still run High Sierra on it. So it's, you know, it's not the end of the world. You'll, you'll still be able to get some security updates, if not, you know, all of the security updates that will be coming to Mojave. Right. All right. We, we've gone over a lot, but there's a lot more. There's going to be links in the show notes to articles on the Mac security blog where we've looked very closely at a number of things, privacy, security, some of the great features in iOS 12 and Mojave. Good luck running iOS 12 on your iPhone, and I hope you'll keep us up to date on how long that lasts. <laughs> Until then, Josh, stay secure. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.